Hello, everyone. This is Sal from Bitcoin Taxes. Welcome to our podcast. Each episode, we speak to an expert with knowledge related to cryptocurrency and blockchain technology. Today is a special roundtable episode with two of our favorite crypto tax pros, Matt Metris and Alex Kugelman. Both Matt and Alex are regular guests on the Bitcoin Taxes podcast, and we're honored to have both of them here today. Matt is a enrolled agent at MDM Financial Services, a boutique tax firm located in Rochester, New York, which specializes in cryptocurrency taxation and accounting. And Alex is a tax controversy lawyer with expertise in cryptocurrency and IRS audits. He is the founder of Kugelman Law, an industry leader in the niche area of crypto taxes. First of all, thank you guys both for being here today. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Good to be here. Yeah, definitely. And so let's start with Matt. You've been on the show multiple times, Matt. Frequent listeners know who you are, but can you give us a little bit of information about yourself? Yeah, totally. I'll uh, keep it short since we've done it before, but uh, I've been practicing in the crypto space uh, since 2014-ish. Uh, but really ramped that up in 2017 uh, when, um, you know, crypto started becoming more mainstream, so to speak. Uh, my first return that I did reporting uh, Bitcoin and crypto transactions, I took my payment for in Dogecoin, uh, which I'm still holding today. Uh, and I think it's uh, after being devalued so much, it's worth about $38. You know, after the whole TikTok thing, I mean, maybe you made a little bit of money after that. I don't know. Yeah, I haven't checked it in the last couple of days. <laughs> All right, cool. And then Alex, just like Matt, you've been on the show multiple times, but you know, for our listeners, give us a little information about yourself. Sure. Yeah, I'm just uh, kind of a general tax controversy attorney. Started with crypto in uh, late 2016, early 2017. Um, you know, really started with the Coinbase summons issue and um, just kind of advised people with all different types of crypto tax issues, audits, um, refunds, all that type of stuff. All right. So speaking of IRS educational letters, as you were just saying, Alex, that's one of the things that I want to talk about first is IRS educational letters. They were originally sent out in 2019, and then they were also sent out again now in 2020. So um, Alex, I'm going to go to you first. Can you give us a little bit, just like a brief rundown of what those IRS educational letters were? Obviously, we did a couple episodes about them last year, but um, are they the same this year, the same letters? Yeah, so it looks like it's, so basically there are three different letters, letter 6173, letter 6174, and letter 6174A. Um, and those letters were essentially sent to taxpayers, you know, indicating that the, the IRS had belief that those taxpayers had cryptocurrency and, and kind of directing taxpayers to certain sorts of um, guidance as far as reporting. And then, you know, asking taxpayers either, depending on the type of letter, to kind of confirm that they had, um, you know, reported all their cryptocurrency or just to put them on notice that they were kind of obligated to report cryptocurrency under certain events. And so recently in the last maybe 30 days or so, it seemed that there's a second round of letters that, that are coming out. And so the, the first round came out in 2019. Um, for the most part, those were associated with the Coinbase summons and, and, a cert and certain account holders who had um, that met minimum thresholds in Coinbase between 2013 and 2017, as far as buys, sells, or transfers, or a combination thereof. This more recent round, from what I've seen, has been um, the letter 6174 and 6174A, which are kind of more advisory in nature and not requiring a specific action um, from the taxpayer. Um, and, I, and I don't think that those are specifically related to the Coinbase summons or even Coinbase account holders. And I've been speculating, and I know I'm sure Matt has been too, about where the information is coming from. But it seems to be with people who have had exchanges, um, exchange accounts, you know, either 
local Bitcoins or Gemini um, are two of the big ones that I've seen. Um, so I think there's some information that the IRS has, and I think that's what they're kind of acting on now, kind of disseminating more information to get more taxpayers to react. So Matt, I know you have some, uh, some information about these letters too. I know some of your clients had gotten the letters last year and also this year. So what's your take on, on the letter situation? Yeah, I agree with uh, what Alex said there that we don't are not necessarily seeing uh, only Coinbase users. I had at least one who, who had no contact with Coinbase at all. Um, one of the things that we come across is a lot of users have five, six, 10, 12 different exchanges that they use. So it's kind of hard to narrow down uh, where the information is coming from. But if, if we think back to the Coinbase summons, if Coinbase had not publicly pushed back we might not know if they had just silently turned over information to the IRS. And so there could be other exchanges that have done this uh, and we don't, we won't know for sure until there's some sort of legal challenge or something like that related to it. Um, the other thing that, I, that I've seen is interesting is that pushing out this new round of letters when the IRS is at stretch, stretch for their bandwidth and their processing capability. I have clients from the first round from last summer who still have not had their amended returns processed fully uh, by the IRS and they're just sort of sitting in limbo. So uh, it's very interesting that they're pushing out even more of that when they haven't really completed the first round yet. That is interesting. And it raises the question, you kind of answered it. I was wondering when we will find out which exchanges are responsible, but you're kind of saying that we may never find out until either they release something themselves, or I guess the IRS probably would never say which exchanges they got the information from, right? No, I can't imagine that they would. And, and I don't think the exchanges are likely to volunteer it either hmm. uh, unless they needed to. Wow. So really it comes down, we're going to have to do some like uh, investigative work of our own to find out which exchanges are. I, I guess most people should just assume that exchanges are going to give the IRS that information if they request it, right? Yeah. And, and what I try to remind clients a lot is that um, even if the IRS doesn't have that information now, they'll very likely have it by the time the statute of limitations expires on that return. So it's in your best interest to, to just report all your transactions as accurately as possible. You know, one thing I would say is that, you know, if you think about it, we talked about this, I think on one of the podcasts was that the, especially the mainstream U.S. exchanges, they're trying to be in compliance with regulations because they, and, they, and they want to be in good graces with the government. They don't want to have issues, right? So if there are requests, it's in their own personal interest to provide information. Um, they're also subject to certain rules. Um, you know, you know they, they are, um, in most cases, money transmitting businesses and might be subject to, and most cases are subject to the same regulations that traditional banks are. So if they see suspicious activity, they may be filing suspicious activity reports. Um, so even though you're not getting, or most taxpayers don't get some sort of end of year tax document, a 1099 or similar, um, it doesn't mean that there's not information that's being sent out to, um, the IRS or department of treasury regarding accounts. So, I mean, I think it's kind of naive, uh, to believe that just because it's not like a traditional, it doesn't, most exchanges don't act like traditional financial institutions that they're not complying with the same regulations um, in its day-to-day -day operations. Right. So, you know, it makes me wonder then, and, you know, I wanted to talk to you guys both a little bit about DeFi, decentralized finance. With a lot of these centralized exchanges, like you just said, Alex, they're going to be giving the IRS that information if the IRS for it. And so with DeFi, it's less KYC, less um, centralization. So a big philosophical component of cryptocurrency trading, as I'm sure you guys both know, is that 
a big segment of crypto traders and, and crypto enthusiasts don't like centralization. Obviously, they don't want you know Big Brother or whoever in their business. So I'm wondering if we're going to see a shift then of you know, we're already seeing DeFi being this big buzzworthy term lately. Do you think we're going to see like a shift of people in the crypto space moving toward DeFi where they might not be as easily tracked by the IRS as if they're using just regular exchanges? That's the either of you. Um, well, I, I would say that it doesn't seem, unre- I mean, it seems like a totally reasonable conclusion. I guess the question that I would have is, does that make a difference down the line for those U.S. taxpayers? Right. Um, I mean, a couple of thoughts. I mean, one, Matt just said it, right? I mean, there, there are records out there and those are going to be preserved. Um, two, you know, to the extent that people are, you know, just like going from your, your fiat bank, you know, and on-ramping into crypto, there's going to be, it's going to be hard to totally um, enter into the DeFi market without some sort of other connection. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's just kind of naive and short-sighted um, to think that this is not going to be an issue, you know, even though there might be a difference to, as far as, you know, using a typical exchange. Um, and I think the IRS, you know, even though it's slow to react, it typically does react. And so you have to assume at some point it will react and kind of take appropriate steps to kind of ensure tax compliance. Yeah, and to build on on what Alex said, the the IRS has shown, especially in in the criminal investigation department, has shown a lot of um, effort and resources being put towards cryptocurrency. Uh, they just this week signed a new contract uh, with a company to do blockchain and analytics uh, for two hundred and fifty thousand uh, dollars. So that's more resources that they're putting towards you know just combing the blockchain and following these transactions down. Um, members of CI have been on the record saying that they can follow your coins no matter where you take them. Um, you know, we've yet to see that proof in, in you know, legal proceedings, but the, the technology is definitely developing and, and they're showing a special emphasis on looking into privacy coins and things that people maybe think are more anonymous uh, and trying to um, make sure that, that that is not being used for tax evasion or money laundering or anything like that as well. Yeah, I saw that. Uh, I don't know if it was like a press release or what it was where it was talking about the IRS CI is trying to invest in learning how to track privacy coins, essentially. Yeah, exactly. And, they, and just across the board, even through COVID, uh, CI has been putting a, a lot of resources into, into the crypto area. Um, and it's definitely a hot button uh, enforcement issue for the IRS right now. Let me ask you guys this, both of you guys, quick rapid fire question. Do you think that the IRS is going to continue and bolster their efforts to tax crypto or do you think there's ever going to be leniency or is it just going to increase and expand from here i think it's an obvious answer but curious to what you guys have to say i i mean i don't see any reason it's not going to keep going in the direction it's going you know and sorry just to, to go back to the last point real quick from my perspective you know one of the things that i see as an issue both with cryptocurrency and just in general with tax compliance is that at some point when people have items that were unreported, they, if they've, if they've you know, accumulated wealth, they want to use it for something at some point. They want to buy a house. They want to um, buy a car or they want to gift money to, to people. At some point, it's going to come back into the mainstream and it's going to come back to a point where it has to be reported. And that's where it's kind of that, you know, that kind of inclusion into a, a tax return that you, you open yourself up to issues. So even if you've avoided paying tax in past years, just like maybe having an offshore bank account, 
eventually you're going to want to use that for something. So I, I think it's always going to be a live issue. Um, and the longer it's not part of a, uh, not part of, you know, a, a reported on a tax return, I think the more suspicious, the more questions are going to kind of come up. And I think that's, bring it back to your current question, I think that's why the IRS is always going to be interested in this, especially as it becomes more and more mainstream. I completely agree with Alex there. They're not, the IRS is not going to leave money on the table here either when they have the opportunity um, to not get their cut that, that they're entitled to under the law. And, you know, they have limited resources and they want to get the most bang from their buck uh, through all of their enforcement arms, whether they're civil or criminal. Uh, so they, you know, this is an area where we know there's a huge uh, section of the market that's that's in non-compliance right now and they have the opportunity to uh, fix that i mean like i said i thought it was going to be an obvious answer in terms of which direction they were going um but it does make me just wonder briefly about a de minimis exemption where you would have to not pay capital gains on like maybe smaller amounts of uh gains like if you bought a cup of coffee is that right yeah and that's been uh floating around congress for a couple of years uh and hasn't really gotten any traction i think a lot of uh, the members of Congress don't really even understand cryptocurrency all that well, mm -hmm. uh, but like a 200 or $600 de minimis exemption are some of the numbers that I've seen uh, in, in some of that potential legislation. And it would make record keeping more easy, uh, but it seems uh, very unlikely at this point. Alex, uh, same opinion that it's probably unlikely? No, I mean, hot, incoming hot take. I mean, I personally think that's the most worthless idea I've ever heard because <laughs> if, someone, if someone has, you know, a, a, any, a, any amount of, let's, you know, any amount of cryptocurrency and they're, you know, I mean, I guess if you, if you held a large cache of crypto and you, you never traded at all, I just held it, right? And you went and bought like three cups of coffee, that one cryptocurrency owner is in good shape. But everyone else who's actively trading or selling, all it means is that $600 is not going to be taxed. You know, it's not, it's not going to save them from you yeah. know, the tracking component, the accounting part of it, the reporting part of all the other cryptocurrencies. So I've always, that one I always think is just kind of, um, not, not, it, it sounds good, but I don't think it would in, in practical uh, terms help most, most traders. Well, I, you know, and I can't really, I'm obviously not a lawmaker, nor am I a tax pro, but, it, you know, in my head, the way I think of it as useful would be, I guess, if you could be selective about that $600, which again, doesn't make too much sense. But if you say to yourself, man, I love using crypto to buy little things at the grocery store, and I don't want to have to account for capital gains on these small purchases, which the IRS will get to, basically does want you obviously to account for these small purchases. I guess there, a de minimis exemption would be useful because you don't, you can buy coffee with your Bitcoin. You know, we can have arguments about that, whatever, but you can buy coffee with your Bitcoin and not have to worry about, hey, what is my capital gain on this cup of coffee? Um, so I guess that's where I could see it being useful. But again, I'm not a tax pro. Um, I am not the smartest person in this Zoom meeting, so I will defer to you guys. And what you disagree. Guys disagree. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. That's very kind. Very kind. All right. So let's move on to the question about um, have you done any trading, which was a question that the IRS added to one of the forums last year in 2019. And it they pushed it forward onto a newer form this year. So um, let's go to Matt. Matt, which form was it on last year and what form is that question on now and what is the question? Sure, yeah. So it was on Schedule 1 last year, uh, which you, if you answered yes to the question, you would have to file a Schedule 1, which is just a, another page you, you tack onto your tax return. Uh, and this year, it, at least in the draft 1040 that exists right now for 2020, it is literally uh, right below your name and address. Uh, and the question is, at any time during 2020, did you receive, 
sell, send, exchange, or otherwise acquire any financial interest in any virtual currency. Um, I don't like the question for two reasons. So we have this situation where you can be a crypto holder and, and have not received, sold, sent, or exchanged if you just held, you would conceivably answer no to that question. Um, but you're still, you know, you still have the, the virtual currency. And then there's also some, some definitional issues when the IRS can, compares virtual currency and convertible virtual currency. Um, and convertible virtual currency is what we talk about when we talk about crypto. It's, it's, crypt, it's virtual currency that can be exchanged for other things, whereas the IRS definition of virtual currency is a little more broad and includes things like, uh, you know, in-game dollars and, and that sort of thing. Um, and at, at face value, this question could apply to that, but the, the commissioner has stated and other IRS officials have stated that it doesn't. Um, but it could have, they could have added that word to kind of decrease the ambiguity there. So, and Alex, I'm going to go to you next on this, but I mean, last year, basically they, they put it on, it was a little bit scary because it seemed like even if you're not a crypto trader, you pretty much had to answer yes to that question. Otherwise, it seemed like you were basically lying to the IRS. That's how I saw it. Um, and now this year, it's front and center. It's kind of the same thing. It's just, it's basically creating this list of people that had cryptocurrency activity, um, which somebody that's more paranoid really might hate that idea. But um, am I wrong about that, Alex? Well, I guess, I mean, two points. I mean, I think you're right. I mean, I think the, the location of this is kind of remarkable. I mean, it's just right there, dead center. Like this, is like the fourth or fifth line down on the first page of every U.S. tax return um, for you know 200 million taxpayers. And that's that's. You think about you know as far as does the IRS care about that? I think that's a pretty clear indication. Um, I think the second part about whether this is a way for the IRS to you know build a cryptocurrency list. If this was Google or some other tech firm, apps, the answer would be absolutely yes. Um, the IRS, however, is is not the most advanced agency, and you know, you know, if you if you've dealt with the IRS in any capacity, you kind of realize that it's um, very disjointed. Uh, the technology is out of date, and so um, I, I don't know that they could real realistically with 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 the you know current technology um, capacity that it has and, and kind of just manpower capacity that it could actually build that list. I think really what it's used for is down the line in an audit and things are not reported and you've checked no, that is a clear indicator of kind of intentional conduct, right? Of, you know, pursuing fraud or other type of, um, you know, uh, other types of issues that are usually not pursued by the IRS. So I think that's really the purpose of that. And I think the most, the most damaging it's going to be for most people is if they're audited or looked at by CI, um, it's just going to be, you know, on its face, black and white, that the person has intentionally not provided that information. You know, to me, it seems like such an easy thing, right? Like just answer yes. But I know that this is really going to create some really interesting cases down the line. I guess taxation theory and just looking at the cases um, of when this happens of the IRS enforcing just from this little question, it's going to be pretty, uh, pretty interesting, not for the people that are getting in trouble with the IRS, but for the people on the outside that are seeing it happen, it should just be a pretty interesting uh, occurrence. But Matt, I'll go to you. What did you have to say about this? No, I just wanted to say, I agree with what Alex said. And we saw similar language there in the 6173 letters that say, you know, please respond to this under penalty of perjury 
that you either reported correctly or didn't have or whatever. Uh, and anytime we add that penalty of perjury, that's it's a uh, an opportunity for down the road uh, in that audit situation to say you you affirmatively told us you did or didn't have this thing, uh, and now we have proof to the other one. Uh, you know that contradicts that. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I mean, like I could see how the the question itself would be unfair. You know, I don't think that they would ever go after somebody that, let's say somebody that does very little crypto trading. They bought a a little bit of Bitcoin on Cash App or they bought a little bit of Bitcoin on Coinbase or something like that. And then they answered no. I don't think that question is ever going to be like something that really negatively affects that person, right? As you guys are saying, it's more for probably the bigger fish and the medium fish that are lying about not doing any crypto trading and then they get audited and it's like okay where's this income was this income from crypto by any chance you said you didn't have any crypto trading so i don't think little little guys have to worry right well i mean really it's a matter of degree right so if if, you know for example everyone's worried about irs criminal investigation i mean there are certain thresholds that if the tax loss does not exceed which is a six-figure threshold CIRSCI is almost never going to be interested in that case or pursue it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the, fr- the civil fraud penalty is a percentage of the um, underreported or uh, not, uh, the amount of tax that was not reported. So if you, if you sold $1 fair market value of Bitcoin and you put no here, um, there's not really much that can happen. But then the question becomes, why would you put no? Yeah. Um, you know, I often tell people who, you know, call and you know, they kind of say, well, it's not that much. And I just, the, my response is, have you ever been audited before? Have you ever gone through that? You know, I mean, just, just dealing with that, you know, regardless of the amount of tax. So, I mean, I think if you're, if you're looking at it, it's, it's why would you, you know, there's no reason on a tax return as Matt points out, you know, you're signing under the penalty of perjury. Why are you, why are you creating issues? Um, why not just, acknowledge what's going on. I mean, that, that to me just, there seems no reason to not put yes on that. Yeah. You, I mean, you could be in a situation where you have $20 of, of hard fork income and you don't check the box. Um, but it, it, just like Alex said, why, why would you do that? You could be audited for a completely unrelated reason. And that comes up in the audit and, and it is taking points away from your favor of, of, uh, you know, resolving that audit in a, a situation that is pleasant for you. So um, anytime you have the opportunity to tell the truth uh, on your tax return, you should definitely take advantage of that. So, you know, Matt, you were saying how Congress obviously doesn't know, it doesn't seem like they know too much about cryptocurrency, cryptocurrency taxation. Um, I know there is like a cryptocurrency task force uh, comprised of a few different either senators or Congress people. Um, I'm not even sure how much they know about cryptocurrency, but I know there are politicians out there that are trying to get stuff done for crypto. Um, So there's a Congress letter going around regarding staking taxation. So Matt, do you want to talk a little bit about that and explain that? Yeah, there's a there's a group in in Congress. I think they call themselves the Congressional Blockchain Caucus mm-hmm. or something along those lines, and uh, they're bipartisan. Uh, they're pro cryptocurrency, but they sent a letter uh, back at the end of July to uh, Commissioner Redding uh, and some other members of the IRS and Treasury, uh, basically questioning um, how rewards from proof of stake cryptocurrencies are being ta- uh, taxed. And so when we look at like Bitcoin and the, and the traditional proof of work model, uh, you know, you solve a block, you get the block reward uh, for the miner, and that's pretty straightforward considered uh, income, ordinary income for them. Um, but the, the proof of stake model is a little different. Um, 
and basically users throughout the network stake their tokens and then they get much smaller uh, block rewards, um, sometimes even less than a dollar at a time. And the question becomes, is that taxable at the time you receive the reward? Uh, and if that is, does it disincentivize users from maintaining the blockchain? Uh, so basically this letter to uh, the IRS is uh, asking for those newly minted coins to be taxed at the time uh, that they're disposed of, as opposed to the time that they're uh, earned as a reward. Okay. So, I mean, they're still going to be accountable for capital gains and everything, but if they were using, let's say Bitcoin.tax, not trying to plug us here, but if they were using Bitcoin.tax, they'd still want to put that in their income tab, but it might be like a zero cost basis if this were to pass, right? Yeah, it's, a, it's similar to the way a lot of people were treating hard forks uh, prior to the latest revenue ruling on that uh, and just taking a zero basis uh, and then recognizing the full value when it's sold. Hmm. Okay. Alex, have you heard anything about that? I guess from a different angle, I would say that this is a, you know, a policy issue that this uh, caucus is bringing, you know, and I'll say they're bringing it to the attention of the commissioner and chief uh, counsel of the IRS. Um, you know, again, it's just four, uh, four members of the house out of 435. It doesn't change any laws, um, you know, and, and until you see the IRS, you know, promulgate some guidance that's, that's consistent with this, this doesn't change what people's requirements are. Um, yeah, but that being said, I mean, one thing to keep in mind is that, you know, there's, you know, the only guidance that there the main guidance that the IRS has given is the notice from 2014 and the FAQs that came out last year. And keep in mind that that is the IRS's interpretation of the U.S. tax code when looking at cryptocurrency and how to tax it. It is not the end all be all. You know, these, they're, they're, its interpretation can and will be challenged in um, either a U.S. district courts or a U.S. tax court. Um, and the IRS's interpretation is not always um, upheld. So to a certain extent, I think, you know, when people kind of really are engaging in issues of policy like this, if there are, you know, taxpayers that are out there that this, you know, dramatically affects their, you know, taxable income. And I would say same with the hard fork uh, uh, revenue uh, issue. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's not unreasonable to take a different position, state that you're doing that on the return with the idea of that you're going to go into, you know, litigation over it. Um, and that's something I think for, for, for taxpayers with substantial taxable income here, they should definitely be kind of thinking about and talking with, um, you know, their professionals about. I wonder if these people that are professional, you know, proof of stakers or, or miners in the, in the back in the day, I wonder if they regularly would be like, you know, Hey, I need a lawyer while I'm doing this, or I need a tax professional while I'm doing this. It, to me, those two things don't jive. Like they should, they obviously should, but I, I wonder if that exists really where there's a lot of these like miners and proof of stake people that are getting a tax professional. Well, I mean, the, the beauty of tax, and I mean, I guess for practicing tax, is it's always backwards looking. There's never, you're very, rare, very rarely an emergency of, of, of today regarding tax. It's usually something that happened a few years back. So, for example, there could be a lot of people out there who maybe they reported a lot of income related to these, these kind of items that are, that are, that they've reported in a manner consistent with the IRS's guidance, but they want to challenge that. The way you challenge it is you bring a refund claim. You file an amended return, you pursue a refund claim, and you litigate over this. And, you know, my understanding, as much as people fear the IRS, 
the IRS really fears adverse case law with respect to cryptocurrency. There's almost none out there right now, right? Mm -hmm. So I think if there were sophisticated taxpayers and they were looking at these issues, they would say, you know what, if I really push this and I'm willing to kind of put in the effort and the time and the cost, right? Um, there might be a really good outcome for me as the taxpayer, you know, with respect to a refund claim, um, you know, because you have to ask the question, does the IRS want to affect the tax collection of, you know, hundreds of thousands or millions of taxpayers about cryptocurrency? Yeah, they definitely do not want to set a negative for them precedent in that area. Uh, and they, but to Alex's point, there's a threshold, right? For the ordinary user who might have a couple thousand dollars or a couple hundred dollars worth of capital gains, this might not be a path you want to look down, right? Challenging um, the IRS's interpretation of things. But if you have a more substantial gain and it's going and the potential savings can offset the cost of litigating this for a long period of time and, and paying representation fees and, and all of the court costs and, and stuff associated with that, there's actually a mechanism on the return to disclose that you are taking a position that's not necessarily in line with guidance or regulations. Uh, so you can file that form and that covers yourself, you know, for accuracy related penalties and, and things like that. And knowing inside that the IRS is likely to challenge it and you're going to have to fight to get what you want. But if, if you're so motivated, like Alex said, that is, you know, the opportunity. Um, and, and there is the potential that the IRS does not want it to be litigated, uh, not in their favor, uh, and they would be willing to accept your position without it being a, a larger applies to everybody type issue. So, you know, what interests me, what Alex said was that there aren't that there aren't any cases, I think you said, or there aren't many cases, Alex, you said, of the people challenging the IRS with crypto? You know, I'm not from, I personally am not familiar with any sort of civil tax cases. I know that there's been some criminal prosecutions regarding cryptocurrency. Um, but as far as I know, as far as the interpretation of, um, you know, the application of U.S. tax code on cryptocurrency, I, I haven't seen anything personally. And I know that, I mean, I don't think, for example, if you said, I want to challenge whether altcoin trades are taxable events, I think that's an absolute loser, right? But I think there are more nuanced areas that apply to cryptocurrency. Um, and, I, and, I, and, I, and I think... I, I kind of think that FAQ 39 and the way that it kind of let that, that loophole um, into accounting methods, I think was kind of a, a little bit of an acknowledgement of that by the IRS. I don't know if that was a, a mistake or they were kind of, but they didn't want to get involved in, in those, in that kind of dispute, right? So they left some ambiguity there or some flexibility for the taxpayer. And I think for the other items that kind of, you know, were addressed there, there is no cryptocurrency tax, tax rulings I know of and the, the kind of the corollary cases that are out there are from, you know, 100 years ago in which you kind of make these analogies to cryptocurrency. So there's just not a lot of guidance out there. And it's, it's really kind of a wide open issue or some of these are wide open issues. And what I've seen from, uh, from IRS officials who speak on panels and things like that is they have been pushing people towards the private letter ruling route too, where you can get a ruling for your specific position that applies only to you and is not necessarily precedent for everybody else to follow. Wow. That's, that's interesting. <laughs> I've never heard of that. That's uh, that's extremely interesting. And I just was going to say, and I'm sure it's not something that's a, a very common thing that IRS issues, right? No, they're very expensive too. I think they, uh, I mean, I don't, 
practice in that area, but I think they start around 10 grand to get a to private letter ruling. So it really has to be worth it. You have to have a substantial amount of, of tax savings to even examine that route. Yeah. So what I was going to say in this conversation, and then we'll move off of it, is it's just funny to me that with all of the outspoken personalities in crypto and with a lot of the political leanings toward like libertarian government stay out of my pocket type philosophies, it's kind of shocking to me that there hasn't been any cases against the IRS. And I think that comes down to the fact that the IRS, you know, even though we're saying, you know, they're not necessarily scary, but to people with a lot of money, they probably are pretty scary uh, entity that you don't want to mess with and you don't want to like bring that litigation to. Cause why, I guess, why else hasn't there been some sort of litigation against them from some of these yeah. big names? I mean, I, I think there's a couple reasons. I mean, I think the first reason is to go back to the question regarding the yes or no boxes on the top of the 2020-1040 is that the IRS's primary concern is people just omitting wholesale all taxable transactions, right? That's an easy case. That's, you know, clearly taxable from what the IRS, you know, in the IRS's position. Um, and I think the second part is, is that, you know, again, tax is backwards looking, right? 2017 was the year where, where really this, this came, 2017 and 2018 were the years that this really came to a head for a lot of people in which I think there was kind of a, a much larger group of taxpayers who had, substantial taxable gains. And those are years that are, would still kind of be in the prime audit zone. And if you think about with the, both the shutdown of the federal government in 2019, as well as COVID, the IRS is very behind. So if there, if there are audits, which I can tell you that there are some audits going on regarding these issues, they're still in the administrative phase. They're not, they're not at the, um, they're not yet in litigation or they're early on the litigation stages and so it's not really, you know, it takes a, a number of years for this stuff to come out in the wash. So I think in the next maybe like 18 or 24 months, you will start seeing some of these cases go through tax court and maybe refund litigation in district court. Um, but I think that's why you don't see it yet. But it, it is coming and people are challenging these issues. Interesting. It always feels weird being in like this wild west of, of cryptocurrency and cryptocurrency taxation because we can say it over and over again we're in the early days we're in the early days it, it doesn't always feel like the early days because this is our everyday life right but it is still i guess arguably but i think it's still the early days of cryptocurrency and cryptocurrency taxation especially yeah, especially from a tax perspective and in the crypto world you know a week so much can happen volatility wise or or things like that that it seems like much longer uh, but yeah. from a tax standpoint, it, it doesn't move quite as fast. All right, guys. Well, we've, we've gone over quite a few um, good topics, uh, a lot of really relevant stuff going on. And I'm happy you guys uh, were here to give me some answers about that. Is there anything, any other topics or any advice, any predictions or theories that either of you guys have um, regarding crypto or crypto taxation in the coming months? Uh, I would say maybe in the coming months to year, we're going to see some sort of consolidated reporting form like a 1099B, uh, which is probably going to cause us headaches. Um, because as you know, as we move things in and out of exchanges, the basis information is not going to track correctly. Uh, but I think that's something the IRS really, really wants is to see some sort of third party reporting that they can uh, run the CP2000 against. I think that would be great if that happened, to be honest with you. I mean, I think it would create issues, but I think it would be it would be good from a compliance standpoint. And, you know, I think for me, this is about my third or fourth podcast. I mean, 
I don't think that this is going away for anybody. And I know that probably a lot of people who listen to this, you know, and I've, I've had done these calls a thousand times, which kind of, hey, this is ridiculous. And the IRS is way out of bounds and, and, and those, those types of, you know, perceptions. I, I just think that's really short-sighted. And I, you know, I know that uh, Matt and I are in the business of kind of tax compliance. So we're going to kind of say this, these things, but I think the reality is um, for, from my experience now, you know, three or four years with cryptocurrency users is that, you know, most people who call me and one or, you know, will call me back in a couple of years because they kind of come around and realize there's, there's really nowhere to go, but to report this stuff. So my recommendation to people is to take it seriously and, use Bitcoin.tax and, you know, just kind of accept what the reality is here. And, and start doing it now because it's a lot more expensive when you got to clean up five years at once. That is true. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, that's all been great information and uh, appreciate uh, the love for Bitcoin.tax, Alex, and, and for both you guys. I know you guys are both uh, users of the software and, and we appreciate you guys very much. Um, always coming on and always being open to have these conversations and, you know, give our audience a lot of um, extra information. So really appreciate that. Um, we'll share both of your guys's social medias and websites and contact info on the webpage. But if you guys could both give our audience who's just listening uh, the best way to reach out to you if they want to um, get in touch with you. So we'll start with you, Alex. How's, what's the best way to reach out to you? Um, you can go to my website, which is uh, kugelmanlaw.com, um, or just Google Alex Kugelman Tax. All right. And Matt, how about you? Uh, yeah, my website is bitcointaxes.me. Uh, no affiliation with Bitcoin Taxes. Uh, <laughs> we just have a similar name. Uh, and you can get my email uh, from there and uh, all, all my other contact info and socials and stuff. All right. Great. Well, thank you guys very much again. I really appreciate you guys coming on and I hope you guys both stay safe and stay healthy. Thank you. You too, Sal. Thank you. Thanks.